you know, standing back there, you know, Kent and I were good friends, very good friends. We're brothers, right? Um, and he's always so kind to me, but that introduction, when I was listening to it, I was starting to get afraid. No, really, I, I think, we're, yeah, uh, you know, God's bringing us, you know, real steak. We welcome Ben Goodman. And so I, I had a joke, I said, I ain't no piece of meat. But thank God I didn't have to say that. Oops, I did. Well, I'm, uh, I'm not one of those contemporary preachers who go, I'm so excited. I don't, that word excited, it doesn't excite me. Um, but I feel like a real special emphasis for the message that I want to share. Um, one of the reasons is because it hit me before it's going to hit you. Uh, so I, I got a dog in this fight. I don't want to be the only one impacted by this message. Uh, we could all go for it. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into the message. Um, Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, what you've done, what you're doing. We thank you for all that. But right now, we thank you that you sent us the Holy Spirit. You are here amongst us, Holy Spirit. And for those of us who are sons and daughters of the Most High God through Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we're so, we're so happy that you dwell in us. Holy Spirit, you're the one that leads us into all, the tr all truth. You're the one who impacts us. Uh, you're the one who transforms us. Uh, we ask that you would do that today. You would download some things that would uh, just transform us and put us on the correct trajectories. Amen. Well, I'm going to eventually get to some pretty famous, familiar verses. It's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. But before I get there, I want to set the stage. So Jesus, uh, in, in Matthew 11, the very beginning, he's talking to his disciples, and he's giving them instructions. It's like a huddle, right? He's calling the plays. You go here, you do this, you do this. And uh, what Jesus did, he says, I'm going to go on a teaching and preaching tour. I'm going to go, uh, I'm, I'm going to have a tour in the towns and the cities of Galilee. And, you know, they put their hands together and went, break. And then they went their own way. So Jesus is in Galilee. Before I tell you what happened in Galilee, I want to share with you something that has really, really, really helped me engage in scripture, especially the gospels. Um, I call it being there. Um, not all imagination is vain imagination. God gives us imagination for certain spiritual purposes. One of which is when you read about what Jesus did in the context in which he did it, just, just try this. Imagine being there. Just go, what would it be like, right? You know, Let's say Jesus takes a blind guy out of the village. He's not dragging him, but he's taking him out. And then he puts it, and you're, you're his disciple, and you're watching Jesus. Everything he does is really good. And then he puts the blind guy right in front of him, and then he goes, <laughs> and then spits right in the guy's eye, right? That's gross. Imagine being there. Here's Jesus. You think he's the Messiah and all that, and he, he throws a hawker right in a blind guy's eye. Not only is that disgusting, that's offensive, because literally he didn't even see it coming. 
No, it's just bad. And you're sitting there going, my God, Jesus, you're way out of the box. What are you doing? And then he goes, so what do you see? Well, I don't see everything clearly. And instead of spitting, he just touches him again and he can see clearly. The blind man now can see. That would impact you. I mean, it just would. You'd stay around people who have nasal conditions because you, you never know if they're gonna spit at you. But you just go, oh my gosh, I saw a real live miracle. You would not take out your phone, hopefully, and go, oh, this is cool. You know, or do a little video, do a little TikTok. Hi, I'm here with Jesus spitting on people and healing. You wouldn't do that. It would impact you. You'd go, oh my God, that was amazing. And you only get that reaction if you can imagine yourself being there, okay? So I invite you to be there. Jesus is coming, let's say this one city in Galilee, and there's big crowds. And the crowds, are, you know, the cross-section of humanity, right? And they're interested. They're coming to hear about Jesus. They're coming to see Jesus. They've heard about Jesus. They've heard all his promises, all the cool things he can do. There's all these great stories. And, you know, he's, he, he's coming against nasty, bad religious Pharisees. Wow, he's just, this, he's just the new thing. So he, he gets up there and everybody's watching him. And then this is how Jesus started. He did, he, Jesus does not have good people skills when it comes to crowds. He just doesn't. He doesn't give you the entertainment that you expect. So he's gathering them and he go, he's basically saying, you're here because you think you know something. But I'm telling you, you don't, you don't know what you think you know. You have not really gotten the message that I've been sending out. I've sent my disciples, I've sent John the Baptist, and you go, man, that's a good me message. Maybe that'll help me in my life and all. And Jesus is going, no, 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 you don't understand. You're not getting the message. You think you have it, but you don't really have the message. Jesus is not mad, he's just Jewish, okay? <laughs> and he goes, I mean, and he uses this, this metaphor. He goes, we played the flute for you, but you're not dancing. We sang the dirge for you, but you're not mourning. We're giving you the message, but it's obvious that you may believe the message, but you're not getting the message. Then Jesus goes further. He's not just talking to people in the crowd. He's not just talking to the crowd. He's talking to a whole city. He, Jesus actually thinks he has authority over cities. Go figure. And he goes, the miracles I've done in other cities have turned the cities around. The, those, those supernatural things I've done, transformed lives in other places, man, it caught fire and everybody goes, oh my God, Jesus is Lord, we'll go wherever you want. I mean, it's transformed. But I do the same things amongst you and there's a little bit of a ho-hum. Oh, that's nice. We have a miracle, praise the Lord right? But it's not having the impact it should. So imagine being in a crowd and hearing the star of the show tell you that. You go, I paid good money to, for these tickets. You'd be looking at, why, why did I get up Sunday morning and listen to Kent's friend challenges? 
So Jesus is done challenging and all of a sudden he flips. He stops talking to the people and he starts talking to his father. And here's his prayer. It's sort of weird. He's talking to you and then he goes, father. That's a little weird. If you meet someone in Walmart who does that, run, okay? How are you doing? Fine, you know, nice kid. Lord, just run. So Jesus stops and this is what he says out loud so everybody can hear. He's saying, y'all don't know what you think you know. And then he goes, Father, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, from the people who really think they know stuff. And you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was well-pleasing in your sight. Imagine hearing that. Look, you're sincere, but you don't know what you think you know. You're, you really haven't gotten the message, right? And then you hear Jesus say, Father, the reason that they really don't know the message, it was pleasing. This sort of part of your plan. What? What? Welcome to the kingdom. And then Jesus says this, all things have been entrusted to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. You know what he's basically saying? He says, look, you think you're wise and learned and you know stuff, but you really haven't gotten the message. You really haven't. And it's the father's will that you haven't to set you up for this. I'm talking to you. I'm not sending messengers. Um, I, I won't speak in illusions. I'm gonna give you the bottom line of the message that you think you know. That's what he does. So now he's got everybody's attention. Just like I hope he's got your attention. And then he, these verses, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's just setting them up got their attention, and then these beautiful verses, come to me and I'll give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. What I, what I have for you to carry, it's so easy, it's so light. not the things you're carrying. I can't tell you how many dozens and dozens and dozens of times I have used that whole scripture as a, an invitation to an altar call. You got issues, please come up, take on Jesus's yoke, you know, he'll give you rest. And, and the thing is, the Holy Spirit does come. But a few months ago, I started reading this scripture and there was actually a lot more going on it than I thought. It wasn't just, you know, you get rebuked and then come to me and Jesus will make it all right. Jesus wanted to solve the problem. He didn't just wanna pat us on the head, give us a Band-Aid so we can do it again next week. He starts off with, come to me. Now that sounds like an invitation. 
And it is an invitation. However, it's also a command. If you've you've ever raised kids and you do this, you go, sweetheart, sweetheart, could, could you just turn the music down a little bit? Everybody in that house knows that's a request. That's an invitation. And it's a command. It's a command. Just doing it nice, right? So Jesus is sitting there going, come to me. It's an invitation, but he, he's telling everybody, all the stuff you carry, okay, got it. Come to me. But what about my stuff? Come to me. And it's, it's actually a command. All you who are labor and are heavily uh, burdened, the cross-section of humanity, it's like some people are just confused. Uh, they're discouraged. Some, some of them are just flat out sinful in that they're trying their best to be good or at least to be perceived to be good, but they're doing whatever they want and they're living two lives and all that. And they're just conflicted, but they're trying their best to balance the good self with the bad self. And you know, that, that's a burden. That's a burden. You're just conflicted, major decisions. You don't know the right one. It's, it's sort of like a country western song, you know? My dog left it. Someone stole my car. My wife is with my best friend. I mean, it's just all that sort of stuff. And someone took my beer. And there, there are people in that crowd. They're trying to live the, Christi- the, the, the godly life using worldly wisdom. They're thinking according to the world, according to the latest ideologies, uh, uh, that worldly wisdom that is even personal. They try to live the God life based on their prior lived experience. And there are some who are religious in this sense. They want to do good. They want to please God. They want to experience the best that God has. They know God's standards, and they are trying so hard to be good enough. Trying so hard to be good enough. That's a heavy yoke. And sometimes people just carry around pain. Just carry around anger. Carry around frustration. All these things, those are burdens. And I haven't even talked about finances, right? So he goes, all the stuff you're carrying, I get it. I don't want to unpack it. Come to me and I'll give you rest. The rest here, it's a Greek word, uh, anapazo. um, And it means a refreshing, a relief, a breather. I think one of the reasons why we come to church on Sunday is, you know, we have... We live three months in one week. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. And we know that there's at least an hour, hour and a half where we have the opportunity to just get a breather, to experience the presence of God, to, to be reassured that God loves us, he's with us. And, you know, maybe an hour, hour and a half, and the kids are in the nursery. You know, there's all that sort of stuff. And Gosh, you know, but me and my wife, we don't like each other, but we're in public, so we can't act that way. So that's my relief, you know? Um, it's just amazing that Jesus, no questions asked, will say, you got some issues, come to me. 
and I will minister to you. I will minister to the condition of your heart. I will touch you. David, before he was king, he had a a leader, Saul, who threw spears at him and said bad things about him. And David tried to do the best he could, but after a while he had to leave. And it was painful, confusing, humiliating and all that. And he ran into a cave. And the cave of Adullam, he just sat there and he caught a breather. He had a reset do-over. I mean, there was nobody saying, what are you running from? It's just, he came to the Lord and he got refreshed. It's not a Band-Aid. The touch of the Lord can just do so many things. So Jesus is looking at all these people. He rebukes the fire out of them and then says, just come to me and I'll start making it right. You can't fix this because if you could, you would have. Come to me and I'll give you rest. And then Jesus, he just switches things. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me is not a continuation of the first invitation slash command. It's a completely different ball game. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Everybody there, they understood the change. They understood that Jesus is not just saying, come to me and I'll make everything nice, nice. I'll touch you. He goes, come to me, I'll minister to you but I'm gonna give you the solution. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. They all immediately understood what he was saying. And there are two examples that they immediately grabbed onto. Jesus spoke the language of that culture. One was in the agricultural culture, um, you know, there are oxen and they plowed and they carried things and they moved things around. And if you have a young oxen who's strong, ready to plow, they don't know how to plow. They just go around doing, you know, they just do their oxen thing all by themselves. But if they're really gonna fulfill their purpose, they have to get yoked to an older, stronger oxen who knows what he's doing. Put the yoke on and the young one goes, they just pull at it. But the older one, Stronger one says, no, you're going where I'm going. And it's really hard. The young, uh, uh, but they, after a while though, the young oxen goes with the old oxen and they pull together. And that young oxen is fulfilled because he's doing what oxen are supposed to do. They immediately got that. The other example is actually more spiritual. If a young man, no, if an old boy wants to become a young man, you all know the difference, right? You're 25 years old, still going like this and go, oh God, give me a wife. That's an old boy. Thank you for coming. That's the word of the Lord for you. You all got it. Anyway, Jesus help me. So if an old boy says, time for me to learn how to be a man, um, how to conduct myself and, and all that. So if, he, if he's religious, what he does is, you know, he goes to synagogue and, you know, they have staff, instead of staff pastors, they have staff rabbis 
right? And the guy looks over and says, man, this is a guy I could really learn from. And he makes application to the rabbi. And he says, would you be my rabbi? What's implied in this are as follows. If you will accept my application, that means I'm choosing to serve you. And you get to teach me um, on how to think, how to act, how to feel, how to manage my emotions, and how to see things. Not only will I sit at your teaching and get information, I will regard your teaching as authoritative. Your teaching will have greater weight than my best opinions. Your teaching will have greater weight uh, than worldly teaching. Your teaching will have greater weight on my past. Your teaching will have final authority on how I'm supposed to think, how I'm supposed to act, how I'm supposed to feel, how I'm supposed to view things. Everybody knew what that meant. Why? Because if the rabbi says, sure, come on. That's how Jewish people those days, they talk, sure, come on. I'll be your rabbi. If they make the deal, then they said that that, that old boy, soon to be a young man, is now yoked with his rabbi. So Jesus is sitting there going, Come to me and I'll minister to you. No questions asked because I love you. But take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You can't wear two yokes. You know how most of us live? We have like the closet with a whole bunch of different yokes. I think I'll wear this today. Nah, this won't work. It doesn't match what I'm feeling, right? And okay, I'm gonna use, we, we, we are very convenient, conveniently, this yoke works for me, this one doesn't. And Jesus is sitting there going, you know, the reason why you're so heavily burdened is that you don't have my yoke. My word does not have ultimate authority over your best ideas or what the culture is saying. He gives it, and he goes, so come to me and I'll be your rabbi. Come to me and over time, I'll teach you how to think. Over time, I'll teach you how to manage your emotions. Over time, I'll teach you how to use your past as a launching pad into your future instead of a ball and chain. Come, you know, just let me start teaching you and you'll start seeing things from my perspective. You'll be like the young ox going, oh, I don't like that, I'm not used to that. But stick with me and you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus is making a really crazy invitation slash command. Much different than the first one of come to me and I'll give you rest. Um, I'm from New Jersey, so I'll say this. Jesus is saying, come to me, sign it all over, and let me be the boss of you. Let me be the boss of you. Here's our natural reaction. These are my natural reactions. I'll find out what they are when I get to the right page. Where's the freedom in that? Come on now, that doesn't seem very freedom. I'm American, right? I'm not really making fun of that, but there's a kind of freedom though. Worldly freedom, carnal freedom says this. 
I'm free when I get to do whatever the heck I want with no consequence, no criticism. If I decide to self-identify as a three-legged giraffe, yes, I get to do that. You know, that kind of freedom never works out. Nobody's ever happy. No, that's because the way the Bible looks at it, it's not a matter of doing whatever you want. Uh, scripture says, I think it's Romans 6.16, it says, um, we are slaves to the one we obey. The issue really is not whether or not we're free. The issue is the freedom that our hearts are screaming for turns on to whom or to what we are enslaved. If we are enslaved to the world, that's one thing. If we're enslaved to our past, to enslaved to what other people have done, if we're enslaved to what culture teaches us, that will produce a whole different set of burdens. But Jesus is sitting there going, no, 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 no. Be enslaved to me. Um, Jesus even says in, uh, in John 8, he says, look, take my teaching, put it into practice. It'll be hard. But then after you wrestle with it, then you'll really know and experience the truth and then you'll be really free. Mm. The kind of freedom that Jesus has for us has a lot to, what we're designed to scream for can only be found in submitting fully to Jesus. The other one is, oh, I don't like this because it just seems so much like brainwashing. It's just brainwashing. Jesus, you're going to teach us stuff and you know, give us the Bible and all that. And what do I do with that? And it seems like brainwashing. You, you, you tell me how to think, how to act and all that. And uh, yeah, what are you, some sort of cult? And Jesus goes, no, I'm not a cult, I'm God, but that's a detail later. But it just seems like brainwashing. And I want to let you know, it is. The issue is not whether you're brainwashed. The issue is, what do you wash your brain with? That's the issue. Do we wash our brain with our own opinions? Doesn't mean we can't have opinions. But do we wash our brain with the latest newscasts? Well, it's good to get you know, sort of informed. Um, or do you, do you, what do you wash your brain with? Here's the choice. I get to wash my brain with scripture, with my relationship with Jesus. I, 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 I change. He does new, new and cool things. I think differently. I act differently. I feel differently. You know, um, I wash my brain with that versus, well, anything else. That'd be a great time. This would be a great time to play that little kid's game, what would you rather? What would you rather wash your brain with? You want to you wash your brain with the history of your people? whoever your people is, go ahead, you do that. Jesus is sitting there going, how about I wash your brain with where I'm leading you? Mm, it's a different thing. And in case some of you are thinking I'm being politically incorrect, it would be, I mean, I have a great, great history with the Jewish people. I had, oh my gosh, I had a number of relatives where they had their numbers, right? And it'd be real easy for me to rise up and all that sort of stuff. But Jesus, thankfully, I don't forget that. But I don't wash my brain with where me and my people have been. I acknowledge it. 
I wash my brain with where Jesus is leading me. Does that make sense? If not, thank you for enduring me. To take Jesus' yoke is to choose to serve him and be to submit, submit to him in all things. Not all at once, like the young ox. He's not going to get it all at once. It's going to take a while to get used to the yoke. Then Jesus sort of tries to sweeten the deal. He's made this exclusive command. Come to me. Let me be the boss of you. I'll teach you, but let me be the boss of you. Because I'm gentle and humble in heart. Now remember, be there. You're in the crowd. He's ministered to you. And then he goes, take my yoke upon you. Let me be your rabbi. Let what I say have final authority on how you live your life. If I said that to you and then I go, and I'm gentle and humble in heart, you'd go, wait a second. What you just said, that's pretty arrogant. Like you're going, you're the guy. That's not gentle. That's not humble. You're making a big deal of yourself. Jesus is trying to sweeten the deal by saying this. If you take my yoke, you will find that I'm gentle and humble in heart. Here's the principle. We really can't experience the character of God without first obeying him. Obedience doesn't mean getting it perfect, but just taking the steps. You may hear about forgiveness. You may study about forgiveness. But until you go, all right, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I, I sign away my past, present, and future to you. Take the step. I surrender. Then you start experiencing forgiveness. And you go, oh, my gosh. It's more amazing than I ever thought. Before you surrender to God, the love of God is just a really cool word. But when you surrender to God, then you experience what it is you think you know. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 14, verse 21, Jesus says, you know, y'all love me. Jesus walked around in southern Israel. Y'all love me. Those who love me, the evidence that you love me is that you obey my commands. And he says, not getting it right, but just obey the commands to sort of yield into the yoke. When, we, when you obey my commands, I will reveal myself. I will make myself known. And even though it sounds like a preposterous, arrogant thing for him to go, come to me, I'll give you a rest. Take my yoke upon you and I get to have final authority. It sounds arrogant, but you start doing it, all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, God is so good. He's so kind. Even while I'm learning with this yoke that irritates the fire out of me, he doesn't beat me up. He doesn't insult me. He just keeps me going. He really is gentle. He really is humble. Now, even when I'm struggling, he's there going, you can do it. Take the next step. Come on, take the next step. So take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. And you'll find. You'll experience who I really am. Now, here's the kicker. And you will find rest for your souls. When I saw that, I immediately went, wait a second, Jesus. Early on in this passage, come to me and I'll give you rest. 
and now you're gonna find rest? Is this like a bait and switch? Honestly, these are the things I think. Is this a bait and switch? Come, I'll give you a rest. Ah, not quite yet. I looked it up. The first rest is like a commodity. Jesus ministers to us. He gives us rest. But when we take his yoke upon us, it says, you will find rest for your souls. That there's another kind of rest that comes as the result of learning to walk with his yoke. And this rest, it, same root word, but different meaning. It means to cease labor and striving, ceasing really, really hard to live a good life, to live a good life that pleases God. Stop trying so hard in your own strength with your own ideas. And that word means if you cease there, there'll be a supernatural energy, a source of perseverance, a stick that'll come from God instead of you. And you will find rest, you'll find vitality, you'll find hope for your souls. You'll actually be able to live out God's plan for your life as you take on his yoke. Everybody's got a different soul. He's got a different soul. He's really nice. I'm working on it, right? Everybody's got a different soul, different gifts, callings, um, you know, identities, uh, purposes. And Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you, do things my way, right? And you will find rest. You will find energy for your souls. You'll find rest. You'll find energy to live out who you were called to be. After a while, you'll start having the energy. You'll be able to sustain the pursuit of living out why you're here on planet Earth. You get to fulfill God's plans and purposes for you, but you can't do it without his yoke. And everybody's going, dang, I wanted the shortcut. And then Jesus ends with this. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, everybody listening to that thing, you go, dang, that doesn't sound easy. You know, you want me to forgive? Mm, that's hard. That boy, he's so cute. He's about to save his Easter egg, but he loves me. Break up with him? Are you kidding? Who will I text? Well, I'll find someone else. Anyway, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Every Every fiber in our being goes, that's not true. It's going to be hard. You'll think like that young oxen. It's not going to be easy. No? Well, there's the short term, and then there's the long term. Short term, it's not going to be easy. Long term, it is easy. Here's one. Let's say you have unforgiveness, and you choose to manage it or justify it. Go ahead. After a while, it won't go away. It'll grow, and then you'll have a root of bitterness. And scripture says, root of bitterness defiles not only you, but the people in your sphere of influence. It, it's so uncomfortable for, to forgive. Yeah, but do it anyway, because in the long run, what you'll be carrying, if you have a root of bitterness, it won't be worth it. Or here's another one. Ah, I'm trying to be a good Christian. My wife makes me come, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's, but I'm not ready yet to give it up. 
I don't think I'm good enough, all the excuses. But one day I will, when I'm ready. And it's sincere. Then you go out in the parking lot and the garbage truck just rolls you over, crushes your head. Guess where you're not? That's a burden. Going, oh my gosh, I'm in hell. Hey, can I check out? Is check out at three tomorrow? No, there's no check out. Oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. Yeah, that's right. That's a burden. Giving your life to Jesus on the front end is difficult, it's humbling, it's hard. But his yoke in the long run, it's easy. The burdens, after a while, they're light. So the question for every person here, including myself, is how do I know if I'm wearing the yoke of the Lord. I don't want to go to the religious way. So, well, if you have the yoke of the Lord, you do everything right. Jesus says this, you say this, you ah, you know, and you're just a perfect, no. There will come a time when you can say that, but it won't matter because you'll be in heaven, okay? Until then, the yoke, whether or not you have the yoke of the Lord is when You have what your culture says, what you think, what you want, which by itself is not bad. If it conflicts with the clear teaching of Jesus, you have the yoke of the Lord when, when you go, okay, this is my way, this is your way. I yield. Lord, I confess this. I surrender this. Teach me your ways. That, that's, that's the yoke of the Lord. If, on the other hand, you have your own way and then God's way, and you know, maybe someone wants to say, hey, man, I want to help you out. This is what Scripture says. If you, and then you go, you're dead to me. I don't want to hear Scripture. Just make me happy. I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm not saying you are. At the very least, where you are, you don't have the yoke of the Lord. So I want to pray for us not just y'all want to pray for us. If you notice, Jesus says, take the yoke. He never imposes it. He never goes, come here. <clears throat> gotcha. Here, take it. Take it. I've told you what will happen. Take, take the yoke of the Lord. It's a by faith thing. So if you want to take the yoke of the Lord or you want to re-up your commitment, to, to the yoke of the Lord, this would be the time to pray. Lord Jesus, we have so many things that we're trying to sort out. Uh, the first thing we do is we come to you. We do. We just come to you. Touch us. Give us hope in the middle of our battles. But Lord, we choose to take your yoke upon us. We want you to teach us how to think, how to manage our, our soul, how to act, how to see things your way. Teach us your ways so we can walk in them. We want to experience your character. We want to find rest for our souls. God, we just say yes to what you're offering. We take your yoke. And while we're still praying, there's some people who are going, I'm not even in. I'm, I'm not born again. 
I'm not a son or a daughter of God. God loves you. Jesus died for all of your sins, past, present, and future. He died, and he was raised from the dead. And he's in heaven, and he's reigning and ruling. And if you will just confess to Jesus, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. Come live in me. That's really from the heart he'll do it. So I'm going to pray as if I'm you, but you pray that to God. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. There's nothing I can do to fix it. I can't whitewash it. There's nothing that I, I can do. But you died for all my sins. I, can, I, I acknowledge that. And I ask that you would forgive me. Your spirit would dwell in me. And you would teach me your ways all the days of my life. Make me a true member of your family. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I won't ask you to raise your hand but you absolutely hit a home run today. It's the best decision you've ever made. Let's give it up for those who gave their lives to the Lord.